moving on and getting older, it wasn't so much you're exotic looking. It was like, you know, what are you? And then depending on who was asking it, it either felt accusatory or it felt curious or it felt intrigued. So they would be the same question, but it really depended on who was asking me. This is United States of Race, personal stories of how our earliest memories determine a lifetime of relationships. I'm your host, D.B. Crema, and welcome to episode 15. 15! Thank you so much for listening. In just a few short months, we've grown this show with support from you. And it's our spring break here at United States of Race from May 1st to May 15th. We'll be back at it with a very special guest on Monday, May 17th. So mark your calendars and don't forget to download episode 16. There'll be a special giveaway to go with the show. And you can also follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to automatically get a reminder when the new episode is ready. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for regular postings with extra content from previous episodes. Thanks for listening. Today we're joined by Holly, who often feels like she's not fully accepted for who she is. So she's learned that making her own community is what matters most in finding belonging. When did you become aware of race? You know, I think I first became race aware just in my own house. And what I mean by that is being aware that I looked very different than the rest of my family members. I was much darker complected. My eyes were very dark. I was just more dark. And people would make comments, whether they were family friends or neighbors or family, and the comments would be something like, that my older sister looked a lot like my mom and my brother looked a lot like my dad. And I had no idea who I looked like. You know, so I just, I didn't really necessarily knew, know where I fit as far as just appearance wise. And to a point where at one point I asked my mom and I was probably six or seven maybe. And I asked her if I was adopted and my mom responded with, oh, honey, don't you know I found you under a rock? Like, ha, 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 right? So, you know, we're kind of laughing about it. And then I'm full on looking at her like, no, but for reals, like, <laughs> I adopted, you know? And then she just reassured me like, oh, no, honey, no, you're definitely mine. I know you're mine, you know? I don't know if that's being aware of race. It was just being aware that I looked so different, I felt. And I remember having these thoughts in my own head, like I'd go through family members. Um, do I look like my aunt? Do I look like my cousin? Like I thought of all these family members that were darker complected and trying to find some reassurance that way that I fit. Um, it didn't help that I was the middle child, you know, that just kind of threw me before loop as a kid, you know. Um, why, why was it an issue? Like, do you remember as a kid, why, like the fact that you were di darker, looked diff slightly different than everyone else, like was playing on your mind? Right. Um, I don't remember a specific conversation, like my parents sitting us down or sitting me down and telling me, you know, this is, this is what our family is about. This is, you know, our story or these might be issues or challenges you might face and whatnot. Right. Like I, di I didn't have a sit down conversation. If I did, I don't remember it. Um, it's probably just because like all of my earliest memories are with my family. So I 
was in a very multiracial, all shades, everything from when I was like, I don't remember my life any other way. So I think it was more just trying to find my place um, and that being something that was very obvious to me. And it probably wouldn't have even, maybe it wouldn't have even been a thing if I didn't internalize hearing people constantly telling my sister and my brother how much they looked like our parents. And I didn't hear that myself. Do you remember then kind of entering into the world separate from your family? Do you remember what feedback you were getting then? How you looked and your race or your color, your all those things? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mostly in elementary school, some comments. Um, I remember a classmate saying, oh, you're so lucky. You're tan all year round. You know, like, I'm only tan after spring break, but you're tan all year round. You're so lucky. And I remember kids comparing our complexions. Oh, and I was called exotic, of course. I've been called that. At a young age, being told I was exotic looking. What does that mean? I have no idea. It meant something to that person. <laughs> like, I looked different, I guess. You know, I knew what it meant. I knew what it meant. What did it mean? To me, it meant, you know, you're different. You know, most of the kids we went to school with at that age were white, you know. And I always think about how lucky I feel like I was to at least be in a class with a couple other kids who were also biracial. You know, I wasn't up by myself going through that type of experience trying to navigate that. And always, 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 it was the white kids that would be like, There's, you're not black. Like, what? No, like, well, what percentage? I mean, like, that was something that always struck me personally, was how white kids had a harder time digesting the information that I shared as far as my my racial mixture. And it was always like, oh, I thought you were Italian. I thought you were Greek. I'm like, I'm glad this is something you're thinking about. Like, I'm glad this is something that you are preoccupied enough with where you have gone through different ethnicities to try to put me in a box. Yeah, like maybe you should have been spending more time studying algebra than trying to figure out my genealogy. That's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. <sighs> do you think it had to do with like some sort of like deep-seated not fear, but I mean, look, you were you were told you're exotic and beautiful, so people admired you, and so they, you know, to find out then that that they're attracted to socially, romantically, whatever, like there's an attraction to something that they don't feel comfortable with. I'm nodding my head very vigorously right now. <laughs> I Yeah, I feel like it was something that was hard for them to wrap their heads around. You know, they had maybe already in their mind when they, you know, when responses were things like, I thought you were Greek or I thought you were Spanish. I thought you were Italian. Like, you know, these Southern, <laughs> Southern European um features they seem to think I had, right? Um, I mean, I think it was a number of things. I think one, it was probably trying to put me in a box. And when I, my answer did not put me in the box that they thought I should fit into, I think they were genuinely con confused. But then I think it, there was a, yeah, I think there was something that didn't sit right with them. It was kind of like a, she's not like one of us. What box did, do you check? other baby I'm an other though sometimes I'd check white sometimes I'd check black just because 
I was both. And I didn't feel like checking the little other box that day, you know. For myself, those boxes come up all the time. And to this very day, I have an anxious response to the moment when I know, oh, I have to, I'm going to have to answer this. I'm going to have to find mm. some somewhere, I'm going to have to find somewhere where I fit. Yep. Yep. Moving on and getting older, it didn't turn into, it wasn't so much you're exotic looking. It was like, you know, what are you? You know, I'd answer and I'd say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I think I just said black, white and, and Native American. And then, you know, and then I would get all kinds of responses. Oh, I can see the, you know, oh, you know, well, what, you know, then that would follow questions like, well, what, what tribe or, you know, what Native American, like, what, oh, Cherokee. Oh, I can, I can definitely see the Native American in you. Oh, I can definitely see that, you know, like these, you know, picking apart, picking apart. And like it, everyone's a professional ethnographer. <laughs> um, seriously. One thing I do remember is my mom, you are who you are, that it didn't matter. It shouldn't matter that we're humans, we're all worthy of the same things and don't ever let anybody make you feel like you're less than, you know, you're just exactly who you're supposed to be. But my dad did remind me of a story. I had come home from school one day and one of my teachers had asked me what I was, what my race was, because my dad asked me, well, how did you respond? Like, well, what did you tell them? And I responded, I'm a human being, is what I told <laughs> this teacher. And I remember my dad just telling me how proud he was of me for that being my answer to this adult who was asking this young child, what are you? And so then to kind of come back to that question about the boxes that are being checked, I think for me as a kid, it was kind of a game. I, you know, it was like, I'm this, I'm that, I don't, you know, I, I'm all of this. So I'm just going to pick one, like whatever. And then as I got older, you know, and I understood more of what it meant, then I would check other and specify it was just kind of this thing we, you know, everybody had to fill out a box. And so I didn't carry much weight with it. Mm. And the first time it really got to me in an emotional way was applying for colleges when I had to fill out those boxes. And even in conversations in high school, I remember kids being like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You could totally get into any school you want you know, I was informed by other kids. This was not even something I'd heard from my parents. This was from kids at school. Like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You could totally go anywhere you want because you can check any, you know, any of these boxes. Being, well, and I don't even say it anymore. Like in our family, it is talked about that we are part Cherokee. And I'm not sure if that's much, how much weight is bared on that. So I choose to not include that in my, how I identify myself because I'm not, I don't feel right saying I'm Native American, right? Because I haven't had any of those experiences and I'm not even sure if that's just a family story versus if that's even... So anyway, my point is I remember kids being like, oh my God, you should totally fill out your application that you're Native American. You can go to college for free. I was like, that's just so weird to me. <laughs> like, even as a kid, I was like, that's really a weird thing to do. Like, why would I do that? Weird? I thought it was weird because that wasn't my experience in any capacity. And it just felt wrong to do something like that, to just like say that I'm Native American because it's a family story. 
how why what no no please so anyway but to my point about the college application so i had filled out my applications to all my school to all the schools i applied to but this one particular university called me and informed me that other was not a minority but that i could change my application if i wanted to you know you can check one of these other boxes and i told them and i said no you know this is who i am and i'm not going to change my box even if you're giving me an opportunity to that's not how i roll like i'm all of these things i'm not going to pick one so that's that i'm probably not going to get into that school but also i was aware at that age that i was not having experiences as other family members as other friends of the racism they faced and the you know and all of these challenges that they have just because they looked black and i was like i'm not going to take away an opportunity for someone else when i have had all of these opportunities and part of it you know has to do with because of how i look mm-hmm. so i was like i'm not going to do that um for you where have you found found that space where you fit in yeah i don't know i'm still working on it i'm still working on it i'm still working on the space that i fit in like it's a constant it's a, you know i mean it's it's not something i think about every day but you know as a child i was just me and i had my friends and this is who i was and i always felt accepted i could say i was accepted by those who accepted me because those who didn't i wasn't going to spend any time with them anyway you know what i'm saying like i was like oh you're not my people i'm not going to hang out with you and that feel, feeling the need to be part of that commu- of a community and like not still trying to figure out where you fit in i know i feel like i've always just made my own right people who are going to love me for who i am and i'm going to love those for who they are and you know and that's that's what matters but like it's it it's it still does matter to me though because when i went off to college you know it was just it was such a different the whole thing was a whole new world right like i was like what in the world where am i where are the brothers and sisters over here oh my god like i really had a moment where i was like this school might be too white for me (laughs) and i never was going to join a sorority ever but my friends you know they were going to do bid and i was like okay i guess i'll just do it and so i remember going to an informational meeting where they had representatives from the different houses there and I asked if there was an AKA because my mom is an AKA. And so I was like, I'm a legacy. And I introduced myself. And I just remember being told something like, yeah, but it's not nationally recognized or whatever. They basically talked their own sorority down to me. And I could tell right away they didn't want me. How did it feel? You were being told you weren't black enough. How did it feel? Yeah. I think at the time, I, I just remember being kind of like, Oh, okay. Then I just kind of walked away because I don't think I even really registered what happened. And of course, as an adult now, when I look back, I think about that and I'm like, they clearly were just like, we don't want you in our sorority. You're not black enough. (laughs) 
And I wish at that time, maybe I had asked, a, you know, gone a little deeper to be like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand what that means. Why would I not want to, you know, why does that matter? Um, do you, do you ever feel like you're passing or do you feel guilty for passing? Or do you feel guilty for not being black enough? No, and I don't, it's not guilt. I think it's because I hate that term and I know it's because it's such a negative connotation and I personally never, it's not something I'm ashamed of. It's something I'm proud of. And it's, I never tell anybody that I'm white. If I'm asked, I'm the first person to say exactly what my racial mix is. And I speak up whenever I hear anything that is not okay. Right. Um, and do my great reveal. Ha You thought I would. <laughs> you thought you could say that racist shit in front of me, but little do you know. Are you talking to a sister? You know? <laughs> I think that's my favorite part, though, when you see people's faces. <laughs> when they're like, what? Oh, oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. You thought you could say that shit my company, but you can't. You can't. But, but okay, so I would I would change what what I would change the wording on that. It I don't feel guilty for not looking more black. I think I think I feel hurt that because I don't present enough that other people within a community that I love and feel a part of don't recognize me as being part of that community. And it's, that's not my family and that's not my friends, but it's society, right? As a whole that I, you see me walking down the street, no one is going to sit there and be like, there's a black girl. Right. Um, and that gives me privilege which makes me angry because I should not be treated any better for how I look than say my cousins. Um, and I shouldn't be treated any worse because that's part of who I am. Right. And so, so I hope the sound, my children in the background are not. Oh now. God, that's okay. I know. I'm it sorry. They're running through the house. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> okay. Um, I've never called myself black. It's not out of anything other than because I feel like I, I shouldn't. Because I know how the world sees me. And I know that the, the privileges I have of, you know, because of how I look, that someone's not going to look at me and identify me as that. So I feel like I can't identify myself that way. Um. It, even though I know I am. Um, and so that's why I've always said I'm biracial, which is true too, right? Um, but that is a very real thing. And because I'm so aware that the way I look protects me from a certain kind of racism, hmm. um, that I kind of feel like this is going to sound weird. Almost like I haven't earned it to be able to use that identifier, right? I have not, and I will not ever experience 
the gravity of the racism that, you know, fellow family members and friends have experienced and, and humans have experienced because of what I look like. Um, but I think what's hard for me on that too, and this is where the imposter syndrome comes in a little bit, is it doesn't mean I haven't had my own experiences of racism. They're just different. And they're not violent in the way of police brutality or microaggressions of being followed in stores or anything like that. But I've been harmed. And I know it is because of race. You know, this is interesting. This was a story I wanted to tell you. I've been thinking about it a lot lately with the state of things in our country. This is a very vivid memory of being about probably six, seven, maybe eight years old. Um, my parents were at a football game and our babysitter was over and my brother, sister and I, we were all in the living room. And I just remember there was this magazine that I saw. It was like Newsweek or Time, something like that. But on the cover of this magazine was a hooded Klansman. Like all it was was like the hood with the eyes. That was the cover. And it scared the crap out of me. And I had no idea what it was. I just knew it scared me. And I asked our babysitter, what is that? She said, oh, that's the Ku Klux Klan. And I then learned who the Ku Klux Klan were, that they hated Black people and that they, they killed Black people. And I was terrified. I remember going to the front of the window of our house that looked out to our street. And I remember just going and looking down the street, wanting my parents to get home because I was terrified that they were going to come get us, the clan. I envisioned, this was seriously the story that was playing out in my head while I was looking down the street, wanting my parents to come home because I was envisioning the clan marching down our street, coming towards us, like these people in their white hoods and their things coming towards us. And I was so scared that they were going to come get us. And then in my head, I thought, but maybe there's some people that are black and they're in black robes and hoods and they're going to come, you know, where the clan are and they hate the white people and they're going to kill the clan. And then I had the moment where I realized, but then they would hate me too. So it was this feeling of like, the white people hate me because I'm black and the black people are going to hate me because I'm white. And so then I was like, oh, we're screwed. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I still feel that way as a grown woman. So like, besides my little world and community that I've picked and chosen, lucky enough to have the family I have and then the friends that I have, you know, that's definitely how I see the world a lot is like, I'm going to be hated for on some level because I'm white and I'm going to be hated on some level because I'm black. So all I can do is 
do me. <laughs> you know? Thanks for listening to United States of Race. The podcast was produced by me, D.B. Crema. Our artwork is designed by Ali Creative, and our show is hosted by Buzzsprout, which makes it easy to start a podcast, get it listed with all the directories, and get your message out to listeners everywhere. If you love great storytelling, you can follow United States of Race on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And show us some love by rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Also, you should share this podcast with your friends and anyone who believes in the power of building connection through sharing personal stories. Or you can follow us on Instagram at all one word, United States of Race. And if you have a story to share, send us a message at United States of Race at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>